to begin by reading for you from two of the texts that are truly central to what we'll be looking at this morning regarding the fatherhood of God. We will be, I will be reading from many, many verses for you. It's a very different sermon than what I would normally preach, that I would normally preach, but I be, it's more of a topical study. So I'll be looking through many, many verses, particularly uh, in the New Testament. But I want to begin by reading just a couple of texts for you, which are truly fundamental to our understanding of being God's children, of what it means to have God as our Father. Let me begin by reading for you from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, John chapter 1, and I will begin with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. In the course of my life, I've had the opportunity to speak on many, many different topics, on many different texts, but this is the very first time I have the opportunity to speak on, uh, on Father's Day. That's how it is, I guess, in the providence of God. I'm grateful that I get to speak on this day. And after I was asked to speak, I thought, okay, what, what, what do I do? What do I speak? Where do I go? I thought of those many sermons that I've heard, of the many things that are often said on Father's Day, and 
things like, you know, practical tips on how to be a better fathers and and I've found them useful, certainly. As a, as a father, I'm always in need of help. I believe all of us here as dad can use help. So a lot of the practical tips that are often given, even if you were to do a Google search, you may find, and I did actually, <laughs> look at some of the practical tips, and all of them are useful. And certainly, we can go to Scripture and find some very practical pointers to help us look at what it means for us to be fathers. But as I kept thinking about it, my mind kept going to one thing. And I believe that it is honestly the most useful thing. That my mind kept going not to some practical things that we can do to become better fathers to our sons and daughters. But my mind keeps going to the perfect father. To God himself and that should really not be surprising for example if I were to ask you what is most useful for you husbands to be better husbands as brothers in Christ well I'll tell you for myself the thing that is most useful is not just well Thomas you are some things to do get flowers do this do that the most important thing that I need to hear, that I go to again and again, is looking at Jesus himself and his relationship to his wife. Because he is the model husband. Gazing, considering how he loves his church. There is nothing more useful to you, to me as husbands, to learn how to love our wives. In the same way, I'd say then that God as Father, looking at Him, gazing, meditating on what it, He is to us as His children, is what we mostly need. What we, it is our greatest need. If we want to look at what it means for us to be fathers. So that's what we want to do this morning by looking at our Heavenly Father. I should say that as we begin that I realize many struggle with the very idea of focusing and look, looking at God as a Father. Many struggle with this because the very idea of Father is very painful in light of the real painful experiences they've had and perhaps you are here this morning dreading even this topic because it brings memories that things that you would rather not think of this morning some even say that we need to get rid of this very notion of God as father as those of us who believe in God's word, who believe in the inerrancy of scripture, that God's word is perfect, his revelation to us is perfect, we know the problem cannot be in what scriptures tell us about God as our father. The problem cannot be there. Rather, 
when one considers closely the sort of objection that is raised regarding the fatherhood of God, looking at God as Father, we realize that the problem lies not in the way God has revealed himself in the scriptures as Father, but rather in our tendency as human beings to focus on our earthly experiences and our experiences with our fathers and then project to God a notion of, father, of fatherhood that is not really true of God. That's the problem. That's the problem that we have. Beginning with fatherhood as though it be, look at fatherhood as though it begins with us. Alistair Beck says it well, the name of Father does not go up to God from us, but rather comes down from God to us. When we get the order wrong, we get into all sorts of trouble. So on this Father's Day, and it is absolutely fitting, regardless, and I say this, I don't mean to be at all insensitive, but it is fitting that we, regardless of what our experiences of fatherhood has been, good, bad, awful in some cases, regardless of where you may be, I believe it is most useful to you, to all of us, to take time to look at what it means for us to be the children of God. What scripture means when it presents to us God as Father. And as we look at His fatherhood this morning, I believe we will see by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, that our Father is a perfect Father. He is a Father unlike any other. Even the very best fathers are compared to Him actually evil. That's how good our Father is. And my plan this morning is to structure our time together by looking at two basic questions. So these are two questions that we'll be focusing on this morning, primarily. There's a third, but primarily I'm going to spend the bulk of our time by trying to answer two important questions regarding the fatherhood of God. The first one is this. Who can call God Father? Obviously, I don't mean who can just say Father. Who can call God in reality Father? Obviously, if you are to go around and start asking people, who can call God Father? Or another way to present the question is, is God the Father of everyone? you would get different answers based on who you speak with. If you were to speak with someone who's an atheist, what do you think they would say? Of course not! God himself, this is a myth. There is no God to begin with. Obviously, if there's no God, then no one can, in reality, refer to him as Father. For he's not there. He does not exist. But among even those who hold to a theistic position, who believe there is a God, especially in our pluralistic context, 
many would claim, would give an answer that is totally foreign to that which we see in Scripture. Many would say that anybody can call God Father. Anybody in reality can call God Father. Some who consider themselves Christians would even argue that the universal fatherhood of God is central to Christianity. That the universal fatherhood of God is central to Christianity, and of course, so is the universal brotherhood of men. One is deduced from the other. God is Father to all, and we are all spiritually brothers and sisters to each other. Of course, this is connected with this whole idea that obviously it's like looking at God on top of a mountain, right on top, and all of the religions, some go straight line to God, others go like this. But ultimately, all roads lead, lead to God. So the problem is not whether or not some are children of God and others are not. Maybe some of us don't realize it. And what we really need to do is start realizing that ultimately, there is one God, and He's a Father in the spiritual sense of all of us, and that all of religions are essentially the same. Is the idea of the universal fatherhood grounded in the truth of Scripture? Is it central to the truth of Scripture? And, and I am not pressing this. You turn on the television. You start watching a couple of ceremonies. You will see that very clearly. References to our brotherhood, to our God having, being our Father. Is this then, this idea, grounded in Scripture? Well, the proposition I just mentioned, that God is Father, not, and that we are brothers and sisters, not only they are not grounded in Scripture, not only they are not central to Christianity, they are actually totally opposed to Christianity. They are actually repudiate Christianity. The uniqueness of Christianity, the uniqueness of, who, of Christ and His work. I must say very quickly that there is one verse in the New Testament that people sometimes go to to try to get support for this idea in the book of Acts, in Acts 17. You're familiar with this text where Paul, in his conversation, in his debate of, uh, with some of the Greek philosophers, quoted a pagan poet saying that we are God's offspring. And and many people then will look at this verse and say, you see, Paul believes in the universal fatherhood of God. But what Paul was doing was essentially in his argument saying, okay, your own poets understand that we are God of spring. Therefore, obviously trying to make the point that God cannot look like those idols that you worship. So what Paul is granting is the fact that, yes, we are God's offspring, the thing that we are all made by God. 
that we have a common bond with all people in the sense that we, God is in the sense, the, the begetter, the creator of all people. But he's not at all giving support to the idea that spiritually God is our father. And that all peoples, regardless of the belief systems, are his children. Now I must say very quickly that while we do deny, the Bible is clear about that, the fact of the, the, I mean, the idea of the universal fatherhood of God, we must hold on to what some call, rightly, the universal neighborhood of man. We do have a common bond. It is very important for us as Christians, even while we maintain, and we should, the fact that God's fatherhood is not universal, that we are human beings, and we are connected to every other human beings, even those who are not Christians. That God has created us all in his image, and that we are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And this is no small call. So we are to love our neighbors, whether they are Muslims or Hindus, regardless of where they are from. Could spend much time on that. That's a topic for another day. So yes, we are neighbors. And we have responsibility to love all of our neighbors. But we are not all God's children. And God is not the father of all. So then, what is the biblical answer then? First, the Bible teaches that God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first answer. That God is the father father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's unique son. He's the son of God in a way that is different from the way that we, you and I, are children of God. At Jesus' baptism, we see a clear testimony of this, where it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This was only said of Jesus. He's always existed as the Son of God. God is the eternal Father. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But in addition to speaking of Jesus as the eternal Son of God, that the Bible also teaches us that what is, what Jesus is in himself, what Jesus is in himself is now ours, not in the same way, but via adoption. That what Jesus is in himself, true Son of God, that, that it is ours, not in the same way, but via adoption. The text that we read earlier, again, I'll read it for you. It says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. 
And in Galatians 3, 26 to 29, we read this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So to sum up then the teaching of these two texts and of the text from, from the New Testament, we can say, first of all, that sonship to God belongs only to those who've come to Christ by faith. It is an adoptive sonship. Rather than universal sonship, we, the Bible presents us a particular sonship. Sonship that is ours, as it says, in Christ Jesus faith. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So those who are outside of Christ, who do not believe in Christ, are not children of God. We see Jesus actually calling people children. You are children of the devil. So the Bible does make a distinction. So sonship to God belongs to only to those who come to Christ by faith. Number two, sonship to God is the result of God's grace. It does not come to us through natural birth, as we just read. Rather, we receive it through the new birth. We become children of God as a result of the supernatural act of the Spirit of God in us. Third, sonship to God is the supreme manifestation of God's electing love for us. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So what we see in scripture is this wonderful, wonderful act of God whereby he not only forgives us as guilty sinners, he not only forgives us, reconciles us to himself those of us as we were his enemies, he not only cleans our record, forgives us, removes our debt, he not only credits us with Jesus' righteousness. And all of those are wonderful blessings. The Bible tells us that he adopts us into his family. Have you thought lately about how great this fact is. As you think of Father's Day today, dwell on this. That God has not just declared us not guilty, righteous. He says, you are my child. Imagine a judge who pays the sentence of a murderer. And he says, you can go home. You're not going to jail anymore. You've murdered. You've committed the worst crime imaginable. Would that not be grace? And actually, I'll pay for it. I'll go to jail. I'll pay your sentence. That would be amazing grace. But imagine now the church saying, you murderer, 
now have understanding. You are my child. You are my child. As great as this illustration is, it still doesn't even capture the greatness. The amazing God, grace of God in making us his children. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we, like the apostle John, never stop marveling at the grace of God in making us his children. Let us not get used to it. May this never, never become, okay, sure, I know that. Oh, may it change us. May it change everything about us. Think about it every day. Now, regardless, wherever you may be, that you are a child of God because of God's great love. See, we say again, what kind of love? Of what country is such a love that the Father has given to you and me to us, that we should be called children of God. And he says, and so we are. It's not an idea. It's just a possibility. It is reality. And so we are. Isaac Watts suddenly knew something of this great love when he wrote, Behold the amazing gift of love. The Father hath bestowed on us the sinful sons of men to call us sons of God. Perhaps you don't have the same poetic skills, but maybe in your heart that you want to say the same thing, don't you? Behold the amazing gift of love. That the Father has bestowed on us the sinful sons of men to call us sons of God. That God sent his love, sent his son to redeem sinners and then to elevate us to the status of son. That's why some people call adoption even a higher blessing. Not that justification, obviously. Of course, you can't have adoption without justification. We know that. But God essentially goes beyond that. Could have justified us, declared us not guilty, and not bring us into his very own family. Who can call God Father? Scripture is clear. Of course, Jesus is the unique Son of God. And those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have been born of the Spirit of God, only they have been given the right, the authority, that's the word, to call God Father. And only they have been given the Spirit of God to enable them to sense their true sonship to God and call Him Abba. Call Him Father. We must move on. And I will move on very quickly. The second question we really wanted to dwell on um, is what are the privileges of those who call God Father? What are the privileges of those who call God Father? The first one is the privilege of authority. Maybe you, you're surprised that this would be the first thing mentioned. Authority, a privilege. Yes, my brothers and sisters. Again, this, we have a problem when we start looking at our, our human fatherhood. Because authority often carries a very, very negative connotation. 
we don't like this idea. And when you think of authority, you start thinking of our fathers, or some fathers that you know, who've abused their authority, who've misused their authority. All of us, I'd like to believe, have at some point failed in our exercise of authority, of parental authority toward our children. But again, we cannot let our failures hide the fact that God is a perfect father who exercises his authority well and that it is a privilege for us to be under his authority. We see the authority of our heavenly father expressed in his relationship with his unique son, Jesus. Jesus says, John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. John 5, 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, because of our adoption, we too have the privilege of being under the Father's authority. And we have the privilege, by the grace of God, of learning to reflect Jesus' response toward his Father. A response of glad surrender, of joyful obedience. And that's what God is working in our hearts to make us increasingly like his son who so that we would respond well to his authority. Respond well by obeying his word. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 1 and 3, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Forever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus came to do his father's will. He came to earth because of his father's initiative and he gladly, he gladly surrendered to the will of his father. And God wants us to see that God's authority is for our good and that it is a privilege to be under his authority and that he's working in us to make us more like his son, responsive to this authority through our daily obedience. Privilege number two, fellowship. That's the second word, fellowship. God's fatherhood implies fellowship with his children. We see Jesus, of course, Jesus' fellowship is eternal. His fellowship with the father. John 16, 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The Father has always been with them, and the Father was with them. Even when he appeared to be alone. John 8, 29, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, the Father's fellowship is also extended to us, his adopted children. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and what a privilege it is to be in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. See, fellowship implies access. It implies intimacy. It, it involves knowing God increasingly as we spend time with Him, as we spend time in His Word, as we talk to Him in prayer, as we spend time with our brothers and sisters, loving Him together. Oh, as we spend time with Him, we become more and more like Him, loving the things that He loves, hating the things that he loved. We find ourselves drawn to his priorities. That's very analogous to the relationship between a father, loving father and his children. As they spend time together, it's not just, well, we have to do this. We, actually, we love being together. We love being together and, and the father enjoys the moment with his child and so does the child when you have great fellowship, great relationship. And the child increasingly finds himself becoming more and more like his father. So we have the privilege of fellowship. We also have the privilege of affection. That the father's affection is on us. Jesus knew of the love of his father. John 5, 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing in himself. That he himself is doing. John 15, 9 through 10, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So the Father loved. Jesus always knew of his Father's love. But we also know of the Father's love. John 16, 27, For the Father himself, Jesus says, loves you. The Father doesn't just love me, but he loves you because you are in me. He loves us. He loves us. We sing often as he loves his son. What an amazing reality. To be loved by the father with the same love that he loved his son. Four quick things about our amazing, the love of our amazing father. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. God's affection to us can never be earned. His love is poured out on not on worthy objects, but those who deserve wrath, condemnation. The Father's love comes to us through Christ. Oh, and listen to this one. It is for all his children. We all know in our world how sometimes a father has many children. He doesn't love all of them, right? Maybe you here this morning, and part of your grief is that you were not well loved by your father. Your father loved your siblings more, and you carry those scars. Well, our perfect father loves all of us, all of us. Not just those who are out there, the famous one, the one that we all see, but every single one of his child. There is no, there is no differentiation in terms of his love. Father loves you. It is a lasting love. It is a love that never changes. Again, 
we know what happens with human fatherly love, right? Oh, we know what happens. I've heard cases of, especially in adoption, where a parent adopts a child because they were childless. Then later they have their own children. And then the child who was adopted begins to experience a sense of rejection because he's not quite like the child like the other, like the natural child. Not so with our Heavenly Father. His love for us will never, never, never change. The Bible says nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus. What a privilege to be loved by our Heavenly Father. There's a fourth one very quickly, the privilege of access. When you are a child and you have a loving father, one of the privileges that you have is that you can go where other people cannot go. I always like to see some of those famous people. Something happened and people are, stay away, stay away, and next thing you know, that little child just runs to dad. Why? Why don't they push him away? Because he's a child. We have a father who welcomes us. The Bible says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace, into this grace in which we stand. So we can come to our father with boldness and confidence. Jesus makes that very clear in the Lord's prayer. He spends a lot of time praying, and, and it is reported, I didn't check it, that every single time Jesus prays to the Father, he directly addresses him as Father, except one on one occasion. And that certainly caused quite a stir among the religious leaders of his day. It is said that there is no written evidence, there's no evidence in pre-Christian Jewish literature that Jews addressed God as Father. Does that mean that they did not recognize Him? That they called Him Father. So Jesus now does something that is radical. He prays, Father. But as if that's not enough, His disciples say, teach, teach us how to pray. And what does He say? When you pray, say what? Our Heavenly Father. What we say. May take it for granted, brothers and sisters, it is something that we're only able to do because of the grace of God, that we can call him Father, and we can come to him anytime he wants us. We need not fear. We will not be banished from his presence. Number five, we have the privilege of his providential care, that the Father cares for us. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, how many times Jesus tells us not to worry, but to come to, the, to our Father. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. No, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You can go on and on, but the Bible tells us that our Father loves us and He cares for all of our needs and He generously provides out of His unlimited resources. Oh, let us not hesitate to go to our Father with all of our needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, our need for protection. Jesus prayed, Father, keep them in this world. Protect them. Our Father, our Father cares. He cares about you, wherever you may be this morning. Maybe there is, again, great pain in your heart. And the temptation is to avoid this idea of fatherhood. No, I don't want to go there. Oh, that's where you must go. Go to the Father. He's your only hope. He will care for you. He loves you. Number six, we have the privilege of conduct. That is a privilege of increasingly reflecting the likeness of our Heavenly Father. One of the things about children is that they really look like their dad. My wife reminded me the other day, reminded one of our kids, who pointed to my hair and says, all right, you see what's going on, this new development in your dad's hair? All right. So an announcement. Don't, don't be surprised if one day the same thing starts happening to you. Children look a lot like their fathers. Some are not happy about that. <laughs> but that's how it is. But it's not just physical resemblance. It goes beyond that. Things that we do, the things that we like, our character. And sometimes that's a terrible thing. God, our Father, wants us to look like Him. To look like His Son. His Son who perfectly loves Him, who obeys Him. He wants our conduct to be like His, and in so doing, bring glory to Him. Last privilege is the privilege of destiny. As God's adopted children, scriptures tell us that we are co-heirs with Christ. God's unique son, and that we will be ultimately with him. Romans 8, 16 through 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may also be glorified with them. Romans 8.23, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. Again, 1 John 3 says, One day, the hope, the certain hope that we have, that we will be like him. The work of the Father will be completed in us as we look like his son. And until then, he's using everything, every circumstance. He corrects us, he, he disciplines us, he uses everything in our lives for that goal of making us more and more like his son. And as we look like his son, he is glorified. Our perfect father wants to see his likeness in us, what he sees in his son, he wants to see in us. Does this prospect excite you? Does this prospect excite you of being co-heirs with Christ and sharing in his glory?
of looking like Him, of being with our Heavenly Father. Again, our earthly fathers often say things to us that make us feel like we have no future. But our God tells us the best is yet to come. It is great now. We are His children now. But it has not yet been manifested what we will be. It's going to get even much better. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is unhindered fellowship. Fellowship that is not marked by my failures and sins, my disobedience. Do you realize that? One day there will be no need for us to say forgive us for our sins, for we will be in his presence like his son, pleasing, delighting in our Father. We've looked at two questions this morning. Who can call God Father? What are the privileges of being God's children? There's a third question I want to end with very, very quickly. It's a very personal question, and it is this. Is he your father? Is he your father? I'm not asking if you believe in God. Many people say they do. The Bible says the devil believes in God. I'm not asking if you've been in church all of your life. I'm not asking your father is a minister. Oh, many times I've heard that. Oh, my daddy was a preacher. My daddy was this. My mother was that. That's not the question. Why have you said the sinner's prayer? No. Can you say that God is your father? Maybe you're sure. And you can say, yes, I can certainly say the Spirit of God, even this morning, is witnessing to my spirit that I belong to God, that I am his child. But maybe you are not sure and you're asking, how can I become his child? How can he become my father? The book of Ephesians that says plenty about being part of the family of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, 13, 14, as Paul talks about what God has done, for them, how he's adopted them through Christ. It says this, in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. They became children of God after hearing the gospel. The word of God. And they believed. And the Spirit of God sealed them. Have you heard the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that you are a sinner totally lost apart from the grace of God? That there is nothing in yourself that you can ever do? To make yourself right with God. And does that fact bother you? Because there are many people who believe, of course I am a sinner, but so is everybody. Who cares? And if you are there this morning, may God, by His grace, convict you not just of the reality of your sinfulness, but of the certainty of the judgment of God on you. It may cause you to look to Him for hope. 
and find that there is indeed hope. That the Son of God came and He died for you to pay for your own sins once and for all. All of them. And what do you do? You look to Him. You cry to Him. And His promise is certain. He will save you. There is no mystery on how to become a child of God. We're not asking you to leave this place and start doing this or doing that. No. It is to look to Jesus. And if you do, the Bible says you become a child of God. Again, you may have prayed, you may have been in the church, but the question is, can you say he's my father? J.I. Parker says the best answer, the richest answer he knows to what it means to be a Christian is to be, to have God as Father. Do you have this relationship as God? Do you know there's a Spirit of God witness to your spirit? Well, you know, wake up every day, regardless of the highs and the lows. Oh, but I have a Father, and I know Him, and more importantly, He knows me. Oh, I know this. Lots of things I may not be clear of, but I know that God knows me, loves me, and I'm His forever. My dear friends, if you are here today without, without this assurance, please, there is nothing more important in this world and to be right with God to know the God who's not just made the heavens and the earth but who in Christ wants us to be his children yes. look to him look to him may God be gracious to us all of us this morning may he encourage and comfort all of us as believers with the glorious reality of his fatherhood to us. There is nothing greater. There is no greater blessing than this. That God is our Father, regardless of where you are this morning, and He knows. May the Spirit of God meet you and comfort you with that great the reality that God is your Father, that you are His child. May He cause you, may he cause all of us to rejoice, as we been saying earlier, to rejoice. And praise God our Father for His great love for us. Oh, may we wake up every day mindful of all the privileges that are ours as His children. And may He be particularly gracious to all of us fathers, earthly fathers. Fathers who failed. Fathers who have abused our authority. Fathers who failed to give our kids access to us. Who failed to make ourselves available. Fathers who have failed in our love. Fathers who've not made it a priority to spend time with our children, to get to know them, to love them, to point them to our Father. May God be gracious to us as we look into His Fatherhood. May His Father, the paternal love be reflected in all of us. And as children, may our hearts be grateful to our Heavenly Father for the provision of our earthly Father. And if you're a child, may God help you to love your father, to obey your father. Because this is really the father's will for you, and his will is good.
and to you for whom this day may be particularly painful, whether it be because you've lost your dad, you've never known your dad, your dad has hurt you, your dad has failed you. Oh, may the Spirit of God, by His grace, cause you to not run from your heavenly Father. He is the perfect Father that you desperately need. So rather than moving away from the very idea of fathers, run to your Father today. If you are a child of God, run to Him. And you will find that He is the one who after all can satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for your great and amazing love toward us. That you have made us your children. What a perfect father you are. May we never, never, never stop to marvel at the fact that you have made of rebels your children and that you love us as you love your son thank you we thank you that you are keeping us now you're caring for us you never abandon your children and you will bring us home one day where all will be well where we will be with you never disobeying you Resting in you. Experiencing the fullness of our joy in you. Along with all of our brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue. Oh, we look forward to that day. Until then, work in us that would reflect the likeness of your son and glorify your most your most worthy name we pray in the name of Jesus the one who made it possible for us to be your children our precious Christ in his name we pray amen the father who planned redemption, the Son who accomplished it, the Spirit who now seals us in that redemption, testifies to us of our adoption.